What's up, podcast listener? Welcome to the B2B podcast, basketball to business. If you're sitting at your desk or riding in your car, know that today you're joining a family of basketball professionals who are trying to change other people's lives or the game that changed theirs. This podcast is going to take you along the journey of basketball entrepreneurs, how they built their businesses, and make a living from the game that they love. Now for the show. Welcome to the Basketball to Business Podcast. Mike and Jones here with Jeff Eisenband, the senior editor at The Post Game. 90% of his tweets are objective and the other half is opinion. We're going to dig into both. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I don't know if you, you know, so that's a, that's a play on a Yogi Berra quote, that description. Honestly, um, I didn't know. I just, it sounded good. So I read it for your, your introduction. <laughs> thanks, man. I'm doing well. I appreciate that. So do you mind telling the audience uh, about your role as a senior editor, what that looks like on a weekly basis. Yeah, so I mean, um, we are the post game is a sports and lifestyle um, uh, digital magazine. So it's a lot of off the court, off the field sort of things, not necessarily covering, you know, why a play happened, but what a guy's story is behind that, uh, which I think, you know, it's just, I think uh, as the internet has evolved and we've been able to tell so many more stories, that's what people have become especially more interested in. Uh, me personally, I write, I edit been doing a lot more on-air interviews and stuff you know we're lucky i'm based in new york that so many guys come through for media tours and leave themselves you know available for comment here um so uh, that's a that's a lot of what i do um try to be a jack of all trades which a lot of us in digital media are trying to do right now um and trying to uh trying to voice common sense without you know just throwing out hot takes around that's interesting. I was going to ask you then that for the next question because there are so many different personalities. You got, I'm fascinated with interviewing. You got the Oprah style, which made her rich. You got, uh, you got a Stephen A. style. I'm just those are just two really generic and different. They're on different spectrums. But for you, for your interviews, I'm not sure how many you do. But what kind of interviewer do you think you are? Who do you? Uh, how do you base your style? How would you say you interview? No, that's a uh, that's a good interview question. Um, you know, I think you have to think a little bit about who your audience is. You know, Stephen A has the luxury of he knows people are going to tune in no matter what. So he's trying to make it entertaining. Um, you know, Oprah kind of a little the same way with me. There's a little more of, you know, because I'm, I'm smaller in boutique right now. I don't know that people are necessarily going to check everything out. Um, so there is an aspect of I'd like to dig deeper, try to find something, try to find something unique. But you also don't want to, you know, troll someone just to get an answer out of them. You know, you're not, um, for example, I was before the Giant game this weekend. I had a chance to interview Victor Cruz at MetLife Stadium. And, you know, you obviously want to go in and ask him a question about Eli Manning. He played with him. He shared. That's the timely news sort of with the guy. Um, and he was wearing an Eli Manning jersey. So it wasn't that hard. You know, I didn't feel out of place asking that question. Um so, I mean, part of my, I would say my style is what's going on, but how can I ask a question that other people aren't going to ask right now or not going to have the opportunity to, you know, how can I maximize this and develop a story out of it? Even sometimes you're not going to get, you know, a half hour interview. You're going to get someone for three minutes. So how are you going to, you know, find an answer that has some substance? Um, so, and I would also just advise anyone watching, you got to listen because athletes, entertainers, celebrities, they're always going to give you a hint of what they want to talk about. They're never going to just hand you the answer you want. But if you hear that one thing that they're leading you into, you got to, you got to, you got to follow that lead and go with it. 
what's your pitch? Because I've interviewed John Wall, I've interviewed some other players, NBA players, and yeah, he's a nice dude. I, I empathize with him because man, you got microphones in your face all day. You got people trying to ask you questions, the same questions over and over again. You got stuff you got to do. How do you pitch these players? Like, hey, man, it's worth doing an interview with me. I'll be different. Um, and what do you do when you see the this, this, this smug look like you know a player is tired? What's your approach is my question. You Well, first of all, you know, you got you can't just throw a microphone in front of them. You know, sometimes it's like you got two and a half minutes with this guy go. That's different. But if you got the time and like, you know, the guy needs a break, maybe he's doing five interviews that day. Like I try to be like, I, I put, the, put the microphone down, put the camera down. Hey man, what's going on? How long you in town for? You know, maybe I, I love to make a joke about it. Yeah. Like get him to, to feel right with you. And I mean, you always want to, if you have the time, get to know the guy or woman, you know, beyond just what's going on. Um, you want to portray yourself as not just someone who's who's trying to dig and take someone out of them. You, you know, you want to, they want to be friends, but they're always going to be skeptical of the media, you know? So, I mean, if you have the opportunity, especially if you're in, you know, a specific market, like, you know, you're in Greenville, maybe you're around Clemson a lot, like, you know, maybe you want to, the first time, you know, you don't necessarily get the investigative crazy report. You get to know the coach, you get to know the players, you make sure they know your face. They know that you're, you know, a warm, fuzzy guy. You don't have to be, but you know, that they, that you develop that rapport. But at the same time, there's also some guys that, that are never going to be like that. So it is important to get to know agents, get to know marketers, get to know managers, um, just so they know what the hell you're doing. And now in today's day and age, when you do something, you know, send that interview or send your work to the person, um, to, to the publicist, to the brand manager, to the agent. They know, oh, you know, this guy or girl is actually he's going he or she is going out of their way to actually do stuff. And they're, they're legit. Man, that's great. Great answer. Great insight, too. And last question. Thanks. The last question before I bounce off and transition from the media. Where do you see media going in the next few years? What are what is your audience necessarily wanting to consume? What do they engage with the most? I think that. You know, we're so every people would like media would like everyone to want to consume the same thing. That's not the way, you know, some people would love to sit down and read a long, you know, 3000 word essay. And some people want to get that juicy 20 second quote. Um, I think that you can't ignore that social media is a place that people don't want to leave. You know, when you go on and scroll your Twitter timeline, you don't want to click out of Twitter. You don't want to get out of there. So I just think that that is you can't ignore that that these social media channels are almost becoming TV channels and newspapers in themselves. Um, and I think that's where, you know, people in media are trying to figure out, obviously, how to make money off that and stuff and such like that. But, I mean, I always tell young kids, like college kids and stuff that ask me for advice, you know, how do I, how do I get a job? Who should I talk to? Who do I interview with? I'm like, just tweet. Like, find what, you're, what you love. Maybe, you know, you might, maybe it's basketball, training and such. And, like, just go with that. Make yourself an expert in that. And if you're saying real stuff that's right and has some substance, people are going to gravitate toward that. Somebody's gonna see it, right? All it takes is one, <laughs> the right Someone's person. Gonna see it. And, and maybe you know you gotta you gotta trust the process. You gotta maybe it'll take seven tweets and only one of them gets picked up. But you gotta do, send those seven tweets because if you sent three, maybe you you know you wouldn't have as good of a chance as seven. So no shame in in tweeting away to get into this into this uh, business. 
Right. And before you mentioned that you capture stories sometimes before the game, mostly after the game, post game, those stories, one that just I saw you write about recently was the salute to service month last month and the NFL just tipping their hats off to the military and the service that they, that they give. So my question for you is how can one, how can a player kneel during the anthem yet not dishonor the troops? Yeah. I mean, I think that people have to, and, and that's, this is where it gets sticky because there are people that view the national anthem differently. You know, personally, I view the national anthem as, you know, an act of patriotism, an act of America as a whole. While there are some people that are thinking, and you know, you you do have to respect them. You know, I'm from New York. Let's be honest. Like there aren't as many people from New York who have, um, you know, friends and family and colleagues abroad um, serving in the military as say Atlanta, Georgia or something like that, that, you know, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think that there are people that specifically feel like they're taking, they're, they're putting their hand on their heart before a game to pay tribute to those true, to, to their, the people that they know that are serving abroad. And, you know, it's, it's your interpretation. I think when these players were kneeling and have been kneeling, that was never their intention. Their intention was just to bring awareness, which you can't deny that people have paid attention, you know, to what they have done. Um, and I think that they looked at it as more of that holistic lens of we don't agree with everything going on in America right now. So this is our way to say, um, you know, let's make America more whole. And oh, man, uh, let's make America more of, you know, what we think it's supposed to be, what the Constitution says. And that's why I think they were, you know, I think that's what they were kneeling for. I think that people need to understand that everyone has a different interpretation of the national anthem and that's where you know people need to listen to why are you kneeling not this is what i think the national anthem stands for so i'm just going to think that stubbornly and not care what you actually have to say right so i, I hear you empathizing with both sides not necessarily you you're answering the question pretty much you answered the question so you personally I mean do you, is it one thing where you pick sides or where you see both perceptions, both interpretations? I think that, I mean, I think everyone, everyone in politics has to listen to both sides before they, you know, give any answer. I think for me, I saw Colin Kaepernick kneel and the first time, you know, last year during the preseason, and it was right after the NBA and WNBA players had worn a lot of different shirts before warming up. You know, there's the iconic shot of LeBron, with the I can't breathe shirt. And I just thought, oh, you know, there's uh, there's Colin Kaepernick just kind of doing an extension of that. And I had no idea it was going to blow up like this because I, I just didn't realize how much people cared about it. Um, and no, I, I don't want to say that I'm playing both sides because I, I definitely take Colin Kaepernick's, I don't want to say side in this because I think where it comes from is from an objective journalism point of view, it's free speech. So I think it ends right there. I think Colin Kaepernick can do whatever he wants during the national anthem. No one should be able to stop him. If you disagree, that's fine. Um, don't, don't boycott the NFL because it's not the NFL's place either to stop Colin Kaepernick from doing that. And you didn't watch the NFL for the, the national anthem. You watched it for the game, which is totally unaffected by everything that's going on here. And you see it, I mean, I think that people have to also recognize the players, you know, Colin Kaepernick has voted, his teammates, you know, gave him that award last year. He's been recognized by so many players. You look at a team like the Philadelphia Eagles with Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long, who, whether 
you know, not every player has agreed with Malcolm Jenkins and the approach that he's taken, you know, on the liberal side of the NFL. But, I mean, the, the progressiveness of that team and how they've rallied around that and also performed at an extremely high level this year, I think people need to, need to recognize that. Um, I just, you know, it has shocked me that it's gone on this long, that people care so much. And every time I tweet something, whether it's retweeting Kaepernick or saying something, like, you know, I get tweets. Even I shared the, the guy in the, on the Seahawks that was trying to get into the crowd at the Jaguars game. People were like, this is why I don't watch the NFL. Someone said a bunch of high school dropouts. And I'm like, literally every, every NFL player went to college. Literally everyone. So what do you even say? <laughs> you know, um, as it. <laughs> I, like I, I don't, I don't get it. I think that that people have been a little too touchy. I think the NFL has catered to these people too much. You know, we talk about what side of history you want to be on. I think that when we look at this, you know, you look at like um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, um, and you look at the people that wrote things against them at the time that they raised that fist at the Olympics. I mean. It looks Brent Musburger wrote an article kind of against that. And he'll never be, no matter what Brent Musburger has done, people will never get past that he wrote that and was on the wrong side of history in 1968. Um, and, you know, I think that the NFL and Roger Goodell, and I, Goodell is just one of many people in the front office. It's not like he's a dictator making every decision. This goes with the owners and this goes with everything. 25, 30 years from now, we're going to be like, what the heck were they doing? you know, protecting these people that were so anti-free speech. Mm -hmm. So in just another question along the NFL, and I'm asking these questions, and I think it's relevant because it's not just one sport. I mean, here's the instance where they're kneeling in NFL, but I'm sure in different sports, it takes, it ta it shows itself in different ways. The mm -hmm. athlete may not be kneeling, maybe do something else. So I guess this one is more general. Right lately, I've been seeing a lot of talk about Tom Brady's recent, you know, blow up in his coach's face. And I wanted to get your take on that. Is it a, is it a race thing? I'm not trying to race bait here, but does it seem like he's not being ridiculed as much as other athletes who just happen to be African-American have to be black who are getting ridiculed for unsportsmanlike conduct or just inappropriate behavior? Is Tom Brady getting the same treatment in your mind or what are your thoughts on that? So, you know, this goes, you can't, you can't talk about this without bringing Odell Beckham into this and kind of uh, what he has posted. And obviously being in New York, I mean, Odell's, since Derek Jeter, yeah, Aaron Judge is trying to take that throne. But if Odell Beckham was healthy, he is the face of New York sports right now. Um, and what I would say about, like, in terms of the race question is you can't deny that Tom Brady has five Super Bowls and is one of the greatest players of all time. And I look at what Tiger Woods is going through right now. Um, I mean, I was hooked to my TV the weekend that Tiger Woods was playing. And I think that if you were following, you know, what was going on, the golf world was electric. And I'm talking like old white males in like old golf neighborhoods of this country were electric for Tiger Woods. And I think that speaks to just the success that Tiger Woods has had, that he's, you know, committed all those, those all of that adultery and law and, you know, separated from his wife. He, you know, had a questionable DUI recently where he had all these prescription drugs. But because of the success that he's had, people almost want to tune that out and just watch him play. And I think with Tom Brady, it's a little similar to that because of the success he's had. People want to watch him. I think if Michael Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan had his fair share of 
uh, you know, he went to combat with against his GMs and maybe it wasn't as public, but people would have you know defended Michael Jordan in any situation. Um, you know, he, he bickered with Phil Jackson and whatnot, but he was Michael Jordan. So I think there's a success level. I think that Odell, you know, points it out and it's not, he's not wrong to point out that, you know, why am I being judged to a different standard? I mean, the answer is Odell Beckham. I think it's because you're only in your fourth or fifth year in the NFL. You've never, you haven't won a playoff game yet. I think that people are more, you know, if, if, if Odell Beckham had two Super Bowls under his belt, people wouldn't care because he would get that validation. I don't think it's a race thing. I think it's just you're 25 years old and you haven't won anything yet. Tom Brady is a 40 year old man and he has won time and time again. So that's, uh, that's my answer there. So does success permit, uh, is it like an inverse correlation? Like the more successful you are, the less of a, I don't say good guy, but you know where I'm going with this question? The more successful no, I, you are. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm not saying that it's right that we give people this leeway. You know, I'm watching Tiger Woods and I'm loving it. But at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> you know, you look at Tiger, forget the race. You look at what Tiger's done on paper. You're like, he's done some pretty shady things. As successful as he's been on the course, he hasn't exactly, you know, been the most positive role model off the course. Um, I, I think that you're just able to get away with things a little bit more. Um, you know, look at like, I mean, a, a good example of, of this is maybe uh, Terrell Owens. You could make the argument that, you know, he didn't get into the Hall of Fame. And why did Terrell Owens not get in the Hall of Fame? And, and you could make more of like, well, he, he thought it was, you know, yelling at his coaches and stuff. And was that why, you know, because he showed so much emotion and stuff like that. And I think there is a, there is a level of he never actually won a Super Bowl. And I think that, you know, if Terrell Owens just won, people care so much about winning, I don't think it would be as much of a question. And, you know, I think Des Bryant is another guy that if Des Bryant won, his blowups would look a little, you know, people would kind of look the other way, but because he has it, you know, it's like, why are you doing this? I think like Randy Moss could, could blow up after, you know, everything with him. Cause he got, uh, he didn't actually get that Super Bowl, but he had such an amazing season um, that I think it afforded him more of like, you know what? Randy Moss's career was a success when he had that record breaking season with the Patriots. Right. So, right. That makes all, sense. All about sense. It's all about the ring. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, I can see LeBron, that. Look at look at what LeBron has done. Like LeBron, pretty much got David Black fired um, and got Tyron Lue placed in. But but you know how are you going to be? How are you going to argue with everything that LeBron's done? And there are LeBron leaders out there, but the general media feels that LeBron is such a success. LeBron can be the GM of the Cavs, basically, because it's LeBron. Absolutely fair, objective, uh, sustained. <laughs> So it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect science. Like that's, that's the, the problem with that. Now it's fun. Just looking at different uh, outlets to see what people are saying. People are thinking about it because as an athlete, you know, that guy, right. But on yeah. the, from the outside, everyone's always looking at character too. So I see both sides. I see both worlds. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to transition to the, to the ball family because I know yeah. you have uh, some, some insight on them too. And yeah. You know, straight question, straight. What is your involvement? If you are fascinated in, in that entire story, why are you? I'm fascinated with it. Obviously, I mean, there's many reasons. Um, I'll bring race right into it off the bat. Like, I definitely think that that is something that has been at the forefront of this. You know, whether it's people calling 
um, LeVar Ball Black Trump and, and things like that. Um, I think that it has been an example of here's here we are putting together a black business and people attack it right away. And that's why you see people like Jay-Z, you know, throwing their support behind Big Baller Brand. And I think that people are going to look back on it and realize whether they like it or not, the success that LeVar Ball has created for himself, for his family, for others. I mean, who knows if LaMelo Ball and LeAngelo Ball were ever going to be good enough to make the NBA, um, to ever make money playing professional basketball. Um, and whether they play, you know, LaMelo Ball and LeAngelo Ball might play five years in Europe and that's it. But they might make more money, not necessarily off the salary of playing pro, but the endorsements that they're going to get over the next few years to sustain them for the rest of their adult life. Um, and I think that's what people, whether if this is a whole business play, and Lonzo's legit, like Lonzo's going to be in the NBA for 10, 10 to 12 years. Um, but if that, if this is going to be something that, that, you know, this family, the estate of this family just becomes lucrative because of this, how can you blame the guy for that? And I think that people, you know, there's such a, he's breaking norms of me. Like you have to play AAU, you have to play high school, you have to go to college, you have to do this. And he's saying screw that because there are a lot of breaks in, in it, you know, right now is college sports objectively a fair minor league system. Absolutely not. You know, people in Europe, people around the world look at it and laugh at the idea of people playing for free and getting this exchange of education when especially most of these basketball players are never actually going to get their degree. Um, and I think that the reason that college basketball survives is the business of it. You know, UCLA is going to play every game on national television every year uh, because of UCLA basketball and the UCLA relies on that. And it's a business for these colleges and they will fight and especially college football, they will fight to keep it alive. Um, and it's not going away anytime soon, but on paper and objectively, it's not a fair system. Like there's no doubt about it. You can try to dance around it all you want, but it's just not a fair exchange for the top players. So man, and that, I, I see that side of it too. And I also see, especially in the, in the African American community where on the flip side, the antithesis of what you just said, what do you say to that person who sees a, a dad black or white or any kind of race that is overly uh, subjective about their kids' talents and decides to to make a, a, rat, a bad decision pretty much based on uh, a false belief of their other kids' talents. Uh, yes. Many people think he's destroying his family, but you say he's doing the opposite. Well, I think he's smarter than people think. I think there are parents like what you're talking about that are way too high on their kids and throw their kids into situations they're not ready for and you know maybe send their kid off to an AAU team or a prep school or a, or a, or a college that they're not going to get any playing time and ruins their career right there or makes them you know leave college because they talk them up so much and they don't actually they're not actually ready for the NBA. I think LeVar Ball is smart. I think he knows what his what his kid's talent is. I think that there's some luck involved in everything like the Lakers getting the number 2 pick. I mean LeVar Ball did not, you know, pick out that ping pong ball. Like there was some luck involved there. And you could argue at the same time that LeVar got his kids to UCLA and, you know, he didn't factor in LiAngelo shoplifting. You know, if that doesn't happen, we're having a different conversation right now about is LiAngelo Ball a good player? Because 
he's averaging 3.6 points in, you know, eight minutes a game for UCLA as a freshman. Um, so I think LeVar is smart. I think that he, every time something happens, he tries to find the opportunity. In this case, it was, let's get these boys to Lithuania. They're never actually going to play for UCLA. Let's cash in, not just in terms of checks, but they're going to have endorsements. There's going to be pop-up shops all over Europe. I was reading today, uh, Adam Zagorio was writing about, I believe it was that, or it was either Adam Zagorio or uh, Gavoni, Jonathan Gavoni, maybe it was Gavoni, who was saying that um, if this is going to be, there's going to, think about, yeah, it was Gavoni, like, LeVar Ball is going to be in a, uh, in like reality show in Lithuania watching basketball people that don't speak any English. That family is going to cash in on that because people are going to watch that. Um, so subjectively, I think that, that he has done all this as a, he's a great actor. He's created a great business for himself. I don't think that people should look at him and say he ruined these kids, but I also don't think people should look at him and say, that's the model that I need to be like, because you are going to see that you are going to see a lot of fathers try to, mothers to try to do the LeVar model ball model of like, I'm going to, you know, build my profile and build my family's profile. And it might work a little bit, but I think LeVar tapped into a market that wasn't being tapped into. And he was the right guy to do it and is the right guy to do it. This isn't going away anytime soon. The balls are going to be, you know, right with us for the next five to seven years. Wow. And even, so even if these guys, these boys don't play in mm-hmm. Lithuania, because I was reading, uh, where they may not get any playing time. They may have to go to the Baltic League, which is a lower yeah. level. You're saying that's not going to mess – that's not going to hinder anything in terms of their branding over there. It's just going to help. I read that they might make like $500 a month or something each right now. But the reason that we do this is because, like, you know, I, I saw a great, like, parody tweet that said, like, Sir Isaac Newton discovered the law of, law of physics at 23, but LaMelo Ball had a signature shoe at age 16. Like these guys are cultural icons and now you've just opened a market where they can make money. The whole family can make money off big baller brand at this point. Leangelo Ball can make Say that quote again for me. Sorry? Sorry, to say that quote again. The uh, can make money off big baller brand now. Before so that, you know, though, before that though, you said something to Sir Isaac Newton. You said some oh, quote. Isaac, can you repeat was, that? It was like a fake breach report that shared this, but Sir Isaac Newton um you know, developed the law of physics or something at age 23 and LaMelo Ball had his signature shoe at age 16. Like, yeah. Okay. And it's, and it's hilarious. And you know, this is like Leangelo Ball who might have never made the NBA can make an appearance when this Lithuanian team maybe is playing um, Belarus, you know, in Minsk and he can show up at a pop-up in Minsk and cash in on a couple thousand bucks because he's this internet celebrity that he wouldn't be able to do if he was at UCLA. So there's a better argument might be if players were allowed to make endorsements well in college, I don't think they would have left UCLA. You know, I think if, uh, and that's why there's so many like eccentricities about this. If you look at the ball and the family previews, LaMelo and Lonzo are in it, but not LiAngelo because he couldn't make any money while he was at UCLA. Um, so I think that they're they're cashing in on something that, you know, you look at it like, you know, some guys I interviewed Matt Leiner last week, who was bigger at USC than when he was in the NFL. And if he could have made money while he was at USC, he probably would have had, you know, he'd have more money right now because he could have cashed in on millions in endorsements or he was a celebrity in Los Angeles taking like one class his redshirt senior year. 
but that wasn't how things worked and it didn't pan out the NFL and he probably lost millions of dollars now. That's so true. And I read that he has no regrets. I'm glad athletes usually have that that response or hopefully it's a true mentality, but man, not I, you know, <laughs> when I can see what I left on the table, but um, no, I appreciate that, man. If there are any more, I guess, any other fun facts you can share with the audience, with the, with the trainers out there, anybody listening on the ball family or anything else you've just been studying. Um, well, I mean, the, the ball family was here in New York. I think LeVar took a, a great picture. I thought with the police officers that were with them after, um, which, you know, I think that LeVar does try to do as much as he can to humanize himself um, because people think he's like this robotic, you know, person. And I think that originally I watched that LeVar Ball CNN interview and I was like, God, I, I thought LeVar would handle it better, but he got a second interview out of it. And now he's got a rapport with Chris Cuomo, the guy who's been interviewing him. And, you know, he's created this like on like the voice of reason compared to Donald Trump, which is just amazing. Like, um, what he's done with all that. I think that, you know, I mentioned that I think LeVar is smart. I'm waiting to see him kind of cash in on that smartness and kind of be like, I did this all as a bit of an act and like, here's where I'm going to be responsible now. And maybe that's the shtick is like, as long as he continues to act irresponsible, like people care. Um, no, for the, for the trainers, I don't, I don't know if I have any specific, you know, insight. I don't know if LaMelo Ball is still going to grow um, just from like, you know, he's 16. Like, I think the kid is still growing. So I think that people putting his NBA, you know, prospect knowledge down right now is, is hard to do. Um, he might be in the NBA in four to five years. We'll see what happens in Europe. Uh, I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting story. Jeff, man, I appreciate you. Jeff Eisenband at Jeff Eisenband on Twitter um, to go go follow him to check out his objective and opinionated tweets. Um, man, I appreciate your time on this interview, and hopefully we can do this again. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, can't thank you enough for listening. I hope you're enjoying the inside look at some uber successful basketball training businesses. You can also learn more from these trainers and entrepreneurs in our private Facebook group at www.facebook.com backslash groups backslash Hoops Institute. And last but not least, if you've been thinking about starting or growing your own basketball training business, check out www.hoopsinstitute.com backslash playbook for your free 30-day website trial. I'm genius, being genius. Winning with my team, we just big in there dreaming. How we gon' get this cream and be shopping all that needs? 20-